We hope you like this Resurrection Oakland Church podcast. Unauthorized use of any part of this copyrighted material for redistribution or duplication is not permitted without prior consent from Resurrection Oakland Church. To learn more about our church and its charity and mission work in and around Oakland, California, please visit our website at www.resoakland.com. Exodus 1 and 2. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous, and, if war breaks out, will join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor, and they built Pithom and Ramses, the store cities for Pharaoh. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shifra and Pua, when you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. So God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave his order to all his people, every Hebrew boy that is born you must throw into the Nile, but, every, but let every girl live. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the river bank. She saw a basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. One day, after, Pharaoh, after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them in their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day, he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked, he asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting this, your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed that Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. During the long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help became, because of their slavery, went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. 
So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. We are starting a new sermon series today in the book of Exodus. And Exodus is such an incredible story, such an incredible book. And the word Exodus is ingrained into our language. Uh, Even if you have never heard the story of Exodus before, maybe you never read the Bible, maybe you never saw Charlton Heston's Ten Commandments, Maybe you never saw the Prince of Egypt. You don't know anything about this story. You probably still know what the word Exodus means. It's a word that is ingrained into our language. In a book called The Last Boat Out of Shanghai, Helen Zia describes the flight from Maoist China as an exodus. Taylor Branch, the historian Taylor Branch, has a three-part series of books on the civil rights movement that are based on events in the the book of Exodus. The, The first book is called Parting the Waters. The second book is called Pillar of Fire. And the third book is called At Canaan's Edge. Exodus is ingrained into our language. It's a Greek word which literally means exit, or departure, or way out. And when you hear that word, when you hear Exodus, what we associate that with is freedom and escape. We use it all the time. If you read the news, uh, you're going to hear stories uh, these days about the exodus of businesses from Oakland. Businesses are leaving Oakland. Why? Because they want freedom from violence and crime. Uh, we, we talk about the, 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 the horrific war in Gaza and the exodus in Gaza, and, and people are fleeing Gaza. Why? Because they want freedom from war and death and devastation. We use this word in our language because all of us, uh, all of us want freedom. We, we have this deep need for freedom. On this MLK Junior Weekend, so many of us are still longing for freedom from injustice and inequality and division. We all deeply need freedom. And the story of Exodus, the message of the book of Exodus, is that God says, I want you to have freedom. I want to give you a freedom that this world cannot give you, a freedom that will change everything. The book of Exodus is not only about freedom, though. It's also about the glory of God. This book begins with slavery in Egypt, and it ends at a mountain, Mount Sinai, where the glory of God is revealed. See, the story of Exodus tells us that that we are part of something that is bigger than ourselves, and God wants to fill us with wonder at his glory, that he, God wants to fill us uh, with love for him and love for others. This, this story is not just a helpful story. It's not a metaphorical story. It's not a symbolic story. It is a true story that can change your life and that will change the world. So over the past next several weeks, we're going to be 
looking at this book, at the story of Exodus, and we're going to be looking at it in broad strokes. Uh, we had a long passage today. Next Sunday, we're going to be looking at the 10 plagues. That's, that, that happens over several chapters. The week after that, uh, we're going, well, next week is the burning bush. The week after that is the 10 plagues. We're going to be looking at this book in broad strokes. Today, we're looking at how God hears. And uh, that, that's what we're going to be looking at as we kick off this book. A few years ago, uh, This American Life had an episode about a fake telephone that was put inside a preschool classroom. And they called this phone the tattle phone, the tattle phone. And the way that it worked is that children would pick up the phone whenever they had a problem and a pre-recorded message would greet them uh, in the voice of Ira Glass. And Ira Glass would say, you've reached the tattle phone. Tell me what happened, tell me the whole story. Right? And this phone was a hit. Kids were lining up to use the tattle phone. Uh, right? And this is some of the things that they said. They, the tattle phone recorded the things that the children said with the permission of the parents. Right? When NPR asked the parents, can we record your children, they said, please do. Right? And so this is, this is what the children said. They said stuff like, Eli told me a lie. Seamus wasn't sharing with me, and I don't like it, and I'm very upset. Nathan farted in my face, and I said, yuck, Nathan, and he didn't even say excuse me. People aren't sharing the tattlephone. Why were children so obsessed with the tattlephone? They were obsessed with the tattlephone because everybody wants to be heard. There is something powerful about being heard. When you are heard, you, you feel like you're not, a no, like you're, you're, you're not alone. You feel connected to another human being. You feel seen and understood and validated. You feel more significant when you are heard. And when you are unheard, the opposite happens. When you are unheard, you feel isolated. You feel disconnected. You wonder if you're going crazy. If you, you wonder if it's all on you. And you feel like no one cares about you. And today, the book of Exodus opens with a story about how we have a God who always hears us. And it's very hard to believe that. It's very hard to believe that God always hears us. And it's very hard to live as if that makes a difference. But Exodus is going to tell us that he does hear us and that it should change everything in our lives. So we're going to look at this story in three parts this morning. We're going to look, number one, at the absence of God, then we're going to look at the fear of God, and then we're going to end with the ear of God. Let's start by looking at the absence of God. One of the things that all Bible scholars point out about the book of Exodus and the the way that it starts is that in the first two chapters, God barely shows up. We barely see God in the first two chapters. Uh, And uh, what we meet at the beginning of the story is not God, but this family, the the, the sons of Israel, and this Pharaoh who doesn't care about them. In verse 8, we learn that Pharaoh does not care about Joseph, that Joseph means nothing to him. We don't know what Pharaoh's name is, All we know is that he doesn't care about Joseph. Why is that important? 
It's important because he should care about Joseph. If you read the book of Genesis, Joseph was one of the sons of a man named Israel. And through all sorts of crazy events, he ended up being the prime minister of Egypt. And during a, a, a global famine, he created policies that saved Egypt from the famine, and people from other countries came to Egypt for help, for relief, and one of the people, groups of people that came was Joseph's own family, the sons of Israel. And Pharaoh was, was so impressed with Joseph that he gave this family land, a plot of land in Egypt to settle and to provide for themselves. Now in verse 8, we learn there's a new Pharaoh, and he could care less about Joseph or this family. In fact, he not only cares, Joseph not only means nothing to him, Pharaoh is threatened by this family. And there's no, there's no reason for him to be threatened other than the fact that this family is growing. And, and, and he says, we need to be shrewd with these Israelites. And where, when Pharaoh says we need to be shrewd with these Israelites, that's actually the first time the word Israelite appears in the Bible. The sons of Israel have now gone from being a large family to a small nation. They're no longer the sons of Israel. They are now the Israelites, and Pharaoh's threatened because their population is growing too quickly. They're expanding too quickly. And even though they've given him no reason to think that they are a threat, their mere existence threatens Pharaoh. He's afraid that they're going to switch sides if there's a war and that he's going to lose ground, that he, may, that he may even lose everything that he has. And so he decides we need to be shrewd, we need to be smart, we need to be careful in the way that we deal with these Israelites. And he goes from being shrewd to slavery and from slavery to genocide. In 11 verses, Pharaoh goes from zero to genocide. And this is such a dark chapter, such a disturbing chapter. Why did God allow all of this to happen? It's the question that everyone is asking. You, you can't help ask these types of questions when you see horrible things happen in the world or horrible things happen in your life. Why does God allow this to happen? Why does God allow slavery? Why does God allow war? Why does God allow genocide? Why does God allow racism and injustice? Why does God allow oppression? Why do these things happen? Where is God? What is he doing? And in Genesis, or in Exodus chapter 1, we barely see God. It's so hard to believe in God when horrible things are happening, and you don't understand what he's doing. Uh, remember the tattlephone? The tattlephone was a big hit, but after a few weeks, it died down. And there was one kid who refused to use the tattlephone. And uh, when, when they asked him, why, why don't you use the tattlephone? He said, it's because I've been asking for weeks and my brother won't, still won't stop pinching me. What happens when you ask God for help and help doesn't come? What happens when you bring to God some unbearable pain, some unbearable injustice, some unbearable wrong, 
and nothing seems to change. How do you hold on to faith that God exists, much less that God cares about you, when horrible things about are happening and all you get is silence? Well, you need two things. You need the fear of God and you need the ear of God, which is what we're going to look at next. Let's take a look at the fear of God. First time that God shows up in Exodus is in verse 17. It says, The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. God shows up in verse 17, and he shows up indirectly. At this point, God is not even the one that is acting. It's, he shows up in the faith of these Hebrew midwives, Shifra and Pua. We know their names. We don't know the name of Pharaoh. Historians have tried to figure out which Pharaoh this is, but no one knows. There's no consensus. But we know Shifra and Pua. 3,500 years later, we still know their names, Shifra and Pua, these extraordinary Hebrew midwives. We know their names, which means we should pay attention to them. And what's remarkable about them is not only what they did, but who they were. They, they were at the bottom of the social ladder of an oppressed people. They were, they, were, they were an enslaved people, and yet they were even lower than any of the other slaves. How do we know? Because later in the passage, God rewards them by giving them a family, giving them children. And what that means is up till that point, they were barren. They were infertile. They could not have children of their own, which is a painful thing in any time in history, but especially in that time of history, in that place of the world, it was the worst thing that a woman could experience because this was a tribal society where the entire economy and all social connections were tied up in your family. And to be barren meant you had nothing to contribute to the economy. You had no economic value to anybody else. It meant that there was nothing that you could do to improve the standing of your family. It meant that you had no social security. It meant that in your old age, there would be no one left to take care of you, no one to inherit all that you had accomplished. It meant that you had no future, no prospect. It meant that everyone could look down on you and there would be no consequences. And so Shifra and Pua, the bottom of the social ladder of an oppressed people, and yet they feared God. Every other Israelite was saying, where is God? How could God let this happen? Shifra and Pua had every reason to ask those same questions, but instead they were not asking why did God let this happen. They were asking God, I know this is not the way you want it to be, and I want you to use me to make it different. They feared God. They feared God. What would your life look like if you feared God more? What would this city look like if more people feared God? When you don't see God at work, you can still Fear God. You could say, God, I know things are not the way they are supposed to be, and I want you to use me to make a difference. What would your life look like if you stopped asking God, why, why, why did you let this happen? 
And instead you ask, God, how can you use me? This city would be a different place if more people feared God. There would be fewer people who went hungry. There would be more adults mentoring children in our most underserved schools. There would be fewer children in our foster care system. There would be, there would be more advocates for immigrants and for refugees. There would be less gunshots and car break-ins. This city would be a different place if more people feared God. What would your life look like if you feared God more? Would you be more generous with your time and your money and your possessions? Would you be more quick to forgive? Would you be more quick to ask for forgiveness? Would you be more willing to stand up for those who have no voice? Would you hold more loosely to your plans and your dreams and your goals? Would you give more of yourself to God and to others? Would you be less self-absorbed, less anxious, less afraid of what other people thought of you? Wouldn't your life be different if you feared God more? Well, how do you do that? How do you get the fear of God into your heart? That's the question all of us should be asking. And if you're anything like me, you are feeling right now what I have been feeling this entire week, which is after looking at Shifra and Pua, I cannot help but to say, I do not fear God. I, I don't even know what it means to fear God. And I, I don't know how to get the fear of God into my heart. How do we get this fear of God into our hearts? Well, only by looking at the ear of God. That's what we're going to look at last today. The next time we see God in this passage is at the end of chapter 2, in the last three verses of chapter 2. It says, During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. The Bible says that God heard and God didn't just start hearing in verse 23. He had been listening in the entire time. God has always been listening. God has all, always heard everything that we have ever said, every cry that we have ever cried out, every groan that we have ever groaned. God was always paying attention. Have you ever been to a party where, uh, with a mom and, a, and her crying baby? Mothers have this supersonic ability to hear the cries of their babies. It's incredible. You could be in a room filled with conversation and laughter and music, but a mother will always hear their baby cry no matter how faint it is, and, and, and she will know that it is her baby and not someone else's baby. And when she hears her baby cry, she'll stand up, go, and make sure that her baby's okay. Now, if a mother who loves, an imperfect mother who loves her baby, can hear her baby in this way, 
how would a perfect God who loves perfectly hear you? Tim Keller, he calls prayer reverse thunder. You know what reverse thunder is? Reverse thunder is when you just whisper or even groan a request to God, but in heaven, it sounds like thunder. God hears us. He hears every groan, every cry, every request, every curse word. He hears it all. He hears everything, and he cares. He cares. God heard his people. He heard their groaning. He was paying attention. That's why nothing that Pharaoh tried work. Pharaoh tried to depopulate the people of Israel. He thought slavery would do it, but they kept growing. He thought genocide would do it, but they kept growing. He tried to use the Hebrew midwives, but the Hebrew midwives outsmarted him. Pharaoh wanted to use the Nile to kill babies, but God used the Nile River to save Moses. Moses' mom, who was forced to give up her child, ended up nursing him for years and got paid doing it. Nothing that Pharaoh tried worked. Why? Because God heard. He was at work. He was, it, he was doing things behind the scenes. And everything horrible that we read about in this chapter, God would use in his plan of redemption. Could it be true that that is what God is doing still here and now today? As we look at all the horrible things in this world, horrible things in our lives, do we have a God who hears us and who is more concerned for us than we are for ourselves and who is at work in powerful ways that we cannot yet understand? The incredible thing is that God not only heard the groans of their suffering, he even heard their groans of guilt and shame and failure. Look at Moses. Moses, so far, is a horrible human being. He's a murderer. He has a Messiah complex. He thinks that he is God's gift to the people of Israel, and he, he, he thinks that he's going to lead them into freedom. But the, the first sign of trouble, he abandons his people. He leaves the country, and he flees to Midian. And the Bible tells us that he lived there for 40 years, and these were the prime years of Moses' life. And all he did was raise sheep and raise a family. Can you imagine what this former prince of Egypt must have thought about his life? He was a complete failure. Can you imagine the guilt that he felt? He was a murderer. And yet God was not finished with him. God will use this broken, sinful, horrible man to lead his people into freedom. What do you think God thinks of you when you bring your failure to him? When what you are groaning about is not the problems out there, but the wrong that you have done. Is God filled with disgust and disappointment and frustration? Is God mad at you? Or is he filled with love and compassion and mercy? The Bible says God heard and he remembered his covenant. His covenant with Abraham and, and Isaac and Jacob. What was that covenant? It was a covenant of grace, a covenant of God's unconditional love. His promise 
that God would bless them and grow them and use them to be a light to the Gentiles, a light to the whole world, a, a covenant of grace. And God says that when you bring your guilt and your shame and your failure to him, he will respond with love and mercy and grace and compassion and forgiveness and that he will not only forgive you, he will change you and he will use you to do incredible things. God is able to take everything ugly in this world to do something beautiful. God is able to take every wrong turn you take in your life to bring you to the right place. Do you have a God like this? Do you have a God who hears you, who is at work in the background, and who is redeeming you, and who has plans for you. Well, we have something that even the Hebrew midwives didn't have. We have something that Pua and Shifra did not have. We have a better reason to believe that God is for us and that he hears us than they could have ever had. We have Jesus. And this is how we can know that God hears us in a way that changes everything. See, God's answer to suffering, God's answer to sin, God's answer to injustice is not a methodology or an ideology. God's answer is a savior. And Jesus came to save us because God knew that we could not save ourselves. Jesus was also born into a world where there was a king who killed babies to try to kill him. It's no coincidence. Jesus also was born into a world that was broken and filled with evil and injustice and oppression. And Jesus lived with fear for God, not in just one heroic moment, but every moment of his life, even to the point of death on a cross. And Matthew tells us that before Jesus died, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, just think about that. When Jesus was groaning and suffering and dying, the most unjust death that any human being experienced in all of history, he cried out to his father, and the father turned his face away. Father did not dignify him with an answer. The Father did not deliver him from the cross. The Father did not ease his suffering. The Father did not validate his sorrow. The Father turned his face away, gave him the silent treatment. He heard nothing. Why? Was it because his Father didn't hear him? Was it because God didn't care about Jesus? Was it because he didn't love Jesus? No. The reason the father turned his face away from Jesus, the reason Jesus was unheard, even though he deserved to be heard, was so that you and I could know that we are heard by God, even though we deserve not to be heard by him. The mayor is not going to pick up the phone for you. The president of the United States is not going to pick up the phone for you. But God, the creator of heaven and earth, will not hesitate to listen to everything that you have to say to him, even your curse words, even your groans, 
even your cries, even when all you can give him are your tears. And because he loves you, and because Christ died for you and rose for you and is coming again to make all things new, this God will take everything ugly in this world to do something beautiful. And he will take every wrong turn in your life to bring you to the right place. He will change you. And when you get this love of God into your heart and you see how he hears you, it will fill you with fear. You don't have to fear being poor. You don't have to fear being powerless. You don't have to fear people who will hurt you. You don't have to fear losing or failing. You don't have to fear what people think of you. All you need to fear is letting God down and losing sight of his great love for you. And it will change you in a way that will send you out to be used by God to make a difference in this broken and twisted world. That's what this table represents. This table says that you have a place at the table of God. You have a seat at the table of God. You have a voice at the table of God. Not because you're good, but because God is good. Not because you deserve it, but even though you don't. On the night that the Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Eat of this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup, and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. And as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this table. We thank you for Jesus, our Savior. We thank you, Lord, that when you look down from heaven at our brokenness and at this broken world, Lord, that, uh, that, that, that there, there is nothing that you missed, that you've heard the groan of everyone who suffers and your answer was Jesus, that you sent him. Help us to believe this as we come to this table. Make the things that we have heard real in our hearts. Set our hearts aflame with the wonder that we are so loved by a God that is so great in a way that would heal us and change us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.